This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ Community Radio Station, Joy 94.9. Welcome to the Rainbow Report. News, opinion, current affairs for the Rainbow community from Joy 94.9. Australia's only full-time gay and lesbian radio station. Gay and lesbian radio station. And now your host, Doug Pollard. Doug Pollard. News and interviews, Joy 94.9. Well, good evening. Thanks to Chris and Cam for your drive factory. Welcome to the Rainbow Report, another election edition. This week I'm looking at a variety of things, including one of those should-be-an-issue-but-isn't issues, gay conversion therapy. Earlier in the year, you may remember, we talked about how we might put a stop to the dangerous and damaging delusion that sexual orientation can be changed. Much has happened since then, including the closure of the biggest ex-gay organisation, Exodus, and the feeling has been that the industry is dying, especially here in Oz. Or is it? Freelance journo Luke Williams isn't so sure. A raft of gay groups got together to ask the three main political parties for their policies on a range of issues affecting our community that also aren't getting oxygen. The results are now in. Coriolum reveals all later on the Rainbow Report tonight. And to round out the show, we're doing some more trips out into a constituency, so to speak. Today, we have a couple of candidates uh, from Melbourne Ports. Last week, we spoke to out gay liberal Kevin Eckendahl. This week, here in the studio, I have Greens and Beryl and the sex party's Melissa Starr. Labour's Michael Danby was also invited, but his staff indicated he had other commitments tonight. But we kick off tonight with Luke Williams. Is praying away the gay dying out or just morphing into new and perhaps more dangerous forms? The Rainbow Report covered this issue earlier in the year, since when the big gorilla of the industry, Exodus Ministries, has closed down. And the number of ex-gay ministries has appeared to shrink. But have they really gone away? Freelance journalist Luke Williams joins us on the line now. He thinks not. Good evening, Luke. Good evening, Doug. Now, you've found something like ex-gay activity going on in schools, haven't you? That's right. I've been working on a piece uh, for the Global Mail, which was published a few weeks ago, which is an independent uh, investigative journalism site. And we uh, discovered that uh, there is uh, a lot of promotion of ex-gay therapy within schools, particularly uh, in Western Sydney. Uh, We looked at one... Oh, there goes old Western Sydney again. That's right. Uh, And uh, indeed, uh, today there's been the issue uh, with uh, Penrith and, and Tony Abbott and and Assemblies of God School uh, saying that uh, homosexuality is an abomination. This particular school is called Toongabi Christian School that we're investigating, which is uh, west of Parramatta. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is a uh, pastoral care worker named Hayden Sennett who claims to be uh, an ex-gay who has been into that school on at least three occasions that we we are aware of, including at a uh, parent-teacher information night promoting his message that uh, homosexuality is uh, a sin and an illness and something that can be changed under some circumstances. Now, this is a name that sounds very familiar. Um, wasn't he involved in one of the um, big ex-gay ministries here, uh, Lib- Liberty Ministries, was it Liberty called? Inc. Is, he's, in fact, just resigned from there. The, the resignation doesn't seem to be related to the, these revelations, uh, however. <laughs> uh, but uh, his resignation may have something to do with the fact that... Uh, 
he has some very extreme views um, related to conspiracy theorists and the Illuminati. <laughs> and, and, oh, dear. Uh, he links, in fact, people like Bob Brown and the gay agenda to, to the Illuminati. So <laughs> it may or may not be linked to that. You mentioned that Exodus International closed down. Mm. Uh, that is true, but, it, but it's also important to remember there's a splinter organisation mm-hmm. called Exodus Global Alliance that is still in operation, which he has announced that he is now working for them in an unpaid um, capacity, and Exodus Global Alliance seems to be trying to take up the, the, the new mantle of, of the new uh, promotion centrepiece of, of the ex-gay movement. Yeah, because um, ex- Exodus, the, the Exodus that closed down was what you might call the head office of what was in effect a franchise operation. Um, if, yeah. we, if we can call it that, the the other arms of the ministry were uh, pretty well independent. The, uh, Exodus International was kind of like the PR centre of it, kind of just promoting it, and then mm-hmm. they had various splinter groups who were not splinter groups, various groups working under that umbrella that were um, affiliated and actually doing the hands-on type work. And that's what Exodus Global Alliance seems to do. They don't do terribly much of the hands-on stuff, but they are kind of like a centre, mm. a centrepiece for it all. Okay. Now, one of the bits of information that uh, was in your article rather surprised me. It said one in three gay or lesbian students attending Christian schools in Western Sydney have been exposed to an ex-gay or a gay conversion message. That's a bit startling. That's right, and this has come from long-term research from uh, La Trobe University and a number of other universities across um, Sydney. At the moment, the, the researcher working on it is, is Tiffany Jones, and, and she was finding that that has actually increased in those schools. Whilst uh, it is de- decreasing more generally, uh, we're seeing an, an increase in, and, and this is quite remarkable, this is staff at schools telling students in one way or another that their sexuality is not just immoral or sinful, but that it is can be changed under some circumstances or at least that they should abstain or risk, um, you know, going to hell in, or, or, or um, you know, yeah. is, engage, is, is engaging this, the devil in some way. Is this, um, th- this therapy that's being offered, is this a commercial enterprise in the sense that are people being asked to pay to do courses and things? Uh, not really, no. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any uh, financial... Because that's uh, the big difference with the American system, isn't it? Over there, yeah. over there, it was actually a business. Yes, well, it doesn't seem to be uh, the case here. I think the people who are doing it seem to think that they're doing um, the right thing, but I think that particular trend of 33% of, of, of schools in Western Sydney I think shows the difference here between the centre-right, let's say groups like Hillsong, who now say that they're they're no longer willing to engage in ex-gay uh, practices because they think it's damaging, and the, the far reactionary right, on the other hand, mm. who are very resistant to change and in some ways are becoming more aggressive. So mm. the, the issue you raised uh, in your introduction about what's going on here, it's, it's contradictory in a way because, yes, there are less of them, but, but on the other hand, we are seeing them move more underground and become more aggressive and target schools and... and, uh, so, and so, so what we basically seem to be seeing here is that it's the real enthusiasts, it's the real uh, ideological warriors who are still left um, who, who are now running the show, whereas yeah. probably the more moderate ones have dropped it or have dropped out or, um, you know, uh, and the extremists are taking over. Yes, and I think those moderate groups aren't necessarily changing their tune on the question of the, the morality of homosexuality. They are changing their tune about the question of 
of gay conversion and of, and of gay change. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the story they're now selling is one of, uh, no, we can't change your orientation, but we can suppress it. Yes. Would seem to be, you know, we can teach you to sort of, you know, deal with your homosexual feelings, but not do anything about it. And uh, create what I, a lovely phrase I saw the other day, create what are in effect situational heterosexuals. Um, the, that, well, that is homosexuals by behaviour, but, but not necessarily... Uh, well, a situational heterosexual... Yeah. Well, if a, if a straight man is in prison and indulges in homosexual affairs while he's in there, he's a situational homosexual. In other words, he's having sexual relations with another man because there aren't any women available. And what they're basically doing is taking gay men and turning them into situational heterosexuals. So they're putting them into situations where their only outlet is with women and therefore they're able to function sexually if perhaps it's not their ideal choice. Yes. And who knows what they're thinking about while they're... <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, you know, we don't, know what the fan- we don't know what the fantasies are. And this is... We're probably supposed to be told to think about Jesus, which is <clears throat> another theological can of worms I don't think we'd better get into. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we might leave that one alone. I, th- I, I think we might. It got gay news in the UK into a lot of trouble all those years ago <laughs> uh, with the love that dare not speak its name and so on and so forth. Um, you also said in your article uh, and to me on the phone when we chatted that uh, these groups are also now surfacing in Asia. They're kind right. of, if they're they haven't got a market here, they're exporting. Well, uh, I've used a lot of your research um, for my article, Doug, so... Um, I wanted to thank you, first of all, for doing all that research and putting it um, on your website. And I chased up a lot of those groups that you have listed because keeping track of these groups uh, isn't always easy. No, they change all the time. They change names all the time and and a lot of them disband. But Hmm. there seems to be only a couple operating here in Australia, and that's Living Waters, um, Liberty Inc., Mm -hmm. um, Homosexuals Anonymous, perhaps, and Exodus Global Alliance. Hmm. We've had a number of others in the last two or three years that have closed down and it's hard to say where they're at um th- those include roundabout ministries mm-hmm. um who adrian rouse who was a um young man who uh, started youth orientated mm-hmm. uh sexual purity nights uh, he's now <laughs> working in thailand yeah um it is, it is unclear whether uh, he, his work in Thailand is related to ex-gay ministries, yeah. but it's certainly a social work type role with young male prostitutes. Yes, I've been approached by a couple of people saying, do I know where person X is or person Y is? Because they've heard they're now working in Bangkok or Phuket or uh, Kuala Lumpur or wherever else. It does seem, just as the Americans have been exporting to Africa with this anti-gay stuff, it seems like our lot have been exporting to Asia. Look, The other one, can I just quickly say, sure. Nick, Nick Kuiper is, is another... A guy who's mm. operating in Adelaide, and he's now working in the Philippines. Mm. He's employed by the Philippines uh, to work in jails with young Muslims, where it is believed he is uh, spreading the ex-gay message uh, to uh, Muslim Philippines. These are countries that often have questionable records on gay yeah. and lesbian rights. Sure. Okay, well, we're going to have to leave it there, Luke. Uh, fascinating to know that this thing, this little virus, is now morphing into something else, and it Unfortunately, is, just, still around. But can I just say, Doug, just for a little bit of a little bit of self promotion, sure. the Global Mail is a is a great site. <laughs> uh, it is uh, at the Global Mail 
Of course, you, of, co- of course you can say that, Luke. The, uh, your bill will be in the mail. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much for joining Thanks. us Great tonight. Great to you, Doug. See ya. Cheers. That was Luke Williams there, as you heard, writing for the Global Mail, um, which is uh, an online newspaper. It's actually very good. Uh, it's similar in some respects to The Conversation. Now, last week we spoke to Kevin Eckendahl, the out gay Liberal candidate for Melbourne Ports. He reckons he has a good chance of knocking Labour veteran Michael Danby off his perch, but that's also the ambition of my next guest, the Greens candidate, Anne Burrell. Welcome to the show, Anne. Hello, Doug. So, how's it going on the ground? Uh, very good. Um, we're getting a lot of support as we go around the electorate. I think I was a candidate in 2010, and we're definitely getting a lot more support. I'm hearing that there's been a bit of a, a late surge starting to happen towards the Greens from, from a number of people. Are you finding increasing interest? Yeah, I think um, it's interesting. The big issue people raise when we hold our street stalls is the state of politics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are really demoralised by the level of debate. But a lot of people have blamed you for that. I mean, they blame the Greens for that. Oh, not in Melbourne ports. <laughs> <laughs> Um, does the refugees issue come up a lot? Because this is one where, you know, the the main parties, um, I don't wish to be rude, but they seem to be playing kind of dumb and dumber on that one. Uh, the Greens seem to be the only one who've actually sort of developed an actual policy as such. Um, is that playing well with the electorate? Yeah, I mean, after people complain about the state of politics, the next mm. big issue is the refugee issue. Mm-hmm. Um, people are very concerned. They're concerned for the suffering of the individual refugees, but they're also very concerned at the way the whole debate's been handled. Now, a lot of people have said that, you know, the Greens refugees policy is perhaps too idealistic, that it would kind of involve giving up a control of our borders. It would um, encourage more people to come, not fewer. What do you, what do you say to those people? Well, we've got a well-thought-out plan, a sort of regional regional plan that we've worked out by talking with experts in the area in um, Indonesia, Malaysia and Australia, people who um, are experts in the field. It's really based on what was done in the 70s and 80s after the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. Um, Look, there's no easy answer on refugee policy, but uh, we feel we've got the right balance. So you would you, you you that's one part where you do agree with everybody else then that it needs to be a regional solution. It's not something Australia can do on its own. Um, no, I think there are lots of small initiatives we need to take. Um, I think we need to. Uh, I think well, Greens would increase our humanitarian quota for starters. Yeah. Um, we'd work. We'd take in some of the backlog from Indonesia and Malaysia. I, I was going to say, you've got a kind of two-stage problem, haven't you? You've yeah. got the immediate crisis at the moment, which is the big backlog of people stuck in Malaysia, Indonesia, places yep. like that. And you've got to kind of clear that to, to sort of relieve the pressure, as it were, by some means or another. And then you've got to get a long-term solution in place as well. Yeah, and I think it's a gradual process. There's no silver bullet. We'd in, increase funding to the UNHCR. Uh, for processing and um, we'd work with sort of general genuine regional development in the area even looking at getting our neighbours to look at the refugee convention Mm -hmm. 
Um, got a specific question sent in to me by Tess here, not about refugees. Um, can you ask about my old chestnut getting full Medicare coverage for those living with gender dysphoria, including gender reassignment surgery? What's the Greens take on that one? Oh, that's a tricky one. I think I'm going to have to get back to you on that. <laughs> okay. Uh, and uh, Michael says, um, what about dental care schemes? Well, the Greens have done a lot with dental care. You probably know that um, one of the Greens' initiative was to move um, dental care into Medicare, and we've got a five-year program starting off with children. Mm -hmm. Um, From January next year, uh, Australian kids will be able to go to the dentist and get um, basic dental care covered on their Medicare card. So you're in favour, basically, of expanding dental care into Medicare, generally. Because yeah. it does seem to be an odd exclusion, and I don't quite I, understand I, why. It, it's, it's half out it's, of the NHS in the UK as yeah, well. I don't quite understand I think understand it's historical that. and political um, <laughs> because of the nature of the professions. But, um, you know, we have a situation where people turn up at hospital with... Hmm. Um, you know, inflamed teeth needing extraction. Mm-hmm. Children, young people, because they haven't had access to proper dental care. Yeah, and and leading on from there, Medicare generally. Um, I noticed on the uh, website you talk about um, lowering out-of-pocket costs because that's seemingly getting out of hand these days for medical, um, you know, medical expenses really getting out of hand people having to pay uh, large co-payments now? Well, I think across the board, you know, our policies do favour, you know, more more, uh, generous um, rebates and so on 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 medical services. We've got a quite extensive health package and a strong preventative health package. I think yeah, you're saying... There's strong priorities for the Greens. Yes, well, you're saying you need to fund Medicare properly over the forward estimates and, uh, um, you know, the point being that Medicare was originally a, a designed to be a universal health care system and it's actually changed into a mm. two-tier one mm. now, as of not. And then there's also the issue of the you know, possible privatisation of uh, Medibank coming up too. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I mean... I, I use private health care. I'm lucky because my partner's employer provides private health care. And to be perfectly honest, I don't know what we do without it sometimes. Mm. Um, but it's, I, I do feel it's a bit unfair that I should have that advantage or that anyone should have that mm. advantage over, over anyone else. Yeah, sort of equal access to health is a huge issue, particularly in rural areas. Now let's look a little bit at education. Now you're very keen on building a prosperous future for young Australians, yes. as, they, as the Greens say. Education's a big part of that. Um, the Rudd government has committed to funding what used to be called the Gonski reforms, but they're doing it by pulling money out of universities. Yeah. Do you think that's a good idea? No, the Greens are opposed to that, and um, we're also... We're, we're funding the Gonski reforms to a greater extent than Labor. We're mm-hmm. actually in favour of the full Gonski recommendations, which is quite a substantial uh, amount of m- more money than the Labor mm-hmm. version, which people are calling Gonski light. <laughs> <laughs> and even with the full Gonski recommendations, which is what the Greens support, 
um, funding for education in Australia would still be below the OECD average. Mm. Um, Another one I wanted to bring up with you, and I don't know if it's an issue in Melbourne ports particularly, is the question of housing, and particularly social housing, because we don't seem to be building any. No, and I think, you know, public housing and housing affordability is a huge issue that hasn't got enough coverage. You probably know that City of Port Phillip has the highest amount of public housing of mm-hmm. um, any uh, local council, and but we need to do more, and... At the federal level, we've got pro- pol- policies like um, a prescribed level percentage of public housing and affordable housing mm. and new development. Let, let's look at what you won't do, um, because obviously all these things would be expensive. Yep. Um, there's a lot of promises that the other parties have made or, or uh, that the current government has put in place that, I mean, let's take paid parental leave for one Tony Abbott scheme. Um, would you save money by not going ahead with something like that? Uh, we wouldn't support Tony Abbott's scheme, no. But can I just talk about um, funding our priorities? Yes, yeah, of course. A lot of people may not know that part of the Greens' agreement with the minority government was to establish the parliamentary budget office to mm-hmm. um, cost pol- political initiatives. And the Greens have... I think we're the only party who have had all our uh, initiatives costed and all our initiatives are online. And uh, we've set out among those initiatives how we would fund our initiatives. Anything in particular you'd like to say to the listeners? Yes, well, I'm a lawyer and I um, was thinking about sort of issues of concern. um, My two profound Um, experiences for me um, involving um, gay issues was one I was I don't know if many people remember um, George Duncan the Mm -hmm. um, South Australian academic who was bashed and thrown into the River Torrens yes I do, it's a famous case Yeah, I mean I remember that as a young person Mm. and um, you know that was really the case that um, you know, the outrage following that case that led to the reform in South Australia. And then that had a profound effect on me. And then two years ago, I was in Africa, and it was at the time of the... One of my kids was working there, and it was the time of the debate over the Ugandan bills, mm, the first one. coming back around. Which is again. coming back around. And um, two young gay guys from Melbourne visited and um, yeah. were travelling with us. And even in Tanzania, being gay is uh, a life sentence. And it was very. Uh, it was it, it 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 revealed to me as a mother. Oh, I was worried about these young boys, just the um, what it is like to live in a climate of fear. And so I think a lot of these initiatives we're trying to get through are really important. That's all I want to say. Well, thanks very much, Anne. Thanks for joining us tonight. And Burrell Green's candidate for Melbourne Ports. This Joycast is a free service brought to you by Joy 94.9. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. And this is your host, Doug Pollard. Now, later in the program, we'll talk to Melissa Starr, the Australian Sex Party candidate in Melbourne Ports. But before that, a consortium of gay groups asked the three main parties for their policies on a range of GLBTI issues. 
issues. The results are in, and Corey Allen joins us now with some of the details. Any surprises, Corey? Doug, I am very pleased to say that the Australian Labor Party has committed to not supporting a national civil union scheme as a substitute for marriage equality in the next parliamentary term. That's a nice tick, yes. So that was a little surprising. Uh, and we've already had the commitment not to have a referendum, which is a good one as well. That's also another good tick. Uh, the Australian Liberal Party has committed to maintain the protections in the Sex Discrimination uh, Amendment Bill, which is another big tick. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have all parties talking about recognition of LGBTI people as a refugee on the basis of their sexual orientation gender identity, which is great. Um, and all parties are going to maintain the Australian guidelines on sex and gender. So basically, it, it looks as though whatever happens, we're not going to be going backwards, at least. Well, I'm not sure about that, because uh, we haven't got a firm commitment on things like the coalition government, if they win, uh, maintaining the active involvement of Australia on the international stage. We've done leadership positions co-sponsoring bills in the UN, mm-hmm. in the Commonwealth, mm-hmm. um, and we wouldn't, wouldn't want to see a rollback on that. No, because uh, Bob Carr's taken a pretty pro-LGBTI stance um, and uh, signed the pledge and all the rest of it. As has Christine Milne. Uh, as has Christine Milne. Uh, absolute silence, of course, from Tony Abbott and uh, so far, Julie Bishop. So I've far. got high confidence in Julie Bishop's ability to deliver in government, but well. we want to see it during the election campaign. I've <laughs> uh, got a message in here, by the way, talking about uh, Tony Abbott and things in the election campaign. There are a lot of complaints about him today going to that school in Penrith that said homosexuality is an abomination. As is gender identity. And gender identity. Well, apparently there's a new article just gone up on the Age website that says homosexuality I've read that on the way is in. no longer an abomination. Well, it's not that it's no longer. It's saying they're going to review the words because it's not about uh, whether or not um, the words... Sorry, it's not about the, it's the sentiment of the words. They still say that that's right. They just think that they're outdated. And I'm sorry, but but I think that, you know, telling so they're just, children... So they're just going to say it more nicely. Well, well, possibly. And this is why we asked them about updating the curriculum during our survey, so that we could see whether or not the parties would include an update to the curriculum. And the only party that said an absolute yes, and that would absolutely mandate uh, challenging bullying, is the Australian Greens. Now, that's, that's something that I'm, obviously you know I'm particularly interested in and I've been following for quite some time to do with mental health and suicide among young people and in particular about getting decent sex ed into schools, not just anti-bullying programs yep. and that, but decent sex ed that yep. covers gays and lesbians. Um, what's the party's positions on that? Do we know? Well, the party positions is that, you know, from a Labor perspective, they will talk about the fact that there's a school curriculum sexuality kit that individual schools can, can look at it and they can facilitate individual dual schools making their own decisions but they're not talking about the need for across the board nationally there needs to be a consistent curriculum that everybody gets taught Hmm. homosexuality isn't an abomination that if you are same-sex attracted wear a condom Uh, even if you're not same-sex attracted and you're having sex you should still wear a condom Um, and this is some of the complicated things that need to be addressed Doug, you talk about this, and we often talk about this in a mental health context, and Mm. the really interesting thing is that all parties, to a certain degree, support the mental health initiatives, yet they haven't got a firm commitment on on schools. Well, as you know, I work on the Ministerial Advisory Committee for the Victorian Government on uh, on GLBTI issues. We like Disclaimer of Conflicts, yes? Yes, Disclaimer of Conflict (laughs) coming up here. Um, You're listening live with the liberal-loving Doug Pollard. (laughs) I don't think they'd agree with that description of me, not after some of the conversations I've had today. Um, 
it, it is interesting that um, mental health has become a kind of conduit for getting people who are uncomfortable talking about sex to talk about sex ed and to talk about um, gay issues. It's, but, but there is always still this tendency to uh, want aftermarket solutions, if I can call it that, i.e. going in there and sorting out the mess after it's happened. They don't get the point that the anti-bullying programs and the sex ed are what stops the depression and the suicidal thought and everything else happening Look, in I the first think, place. I don't think that's going to stop it alone, but you know, well, we're, also a very, we're also on a really tight rope a positive here, a really tight atmosphere. rope here that we make sure that we're not pigeonholing LGBTI issues into all about sex. In, indeed. Yeah. indeed. So it needs to be we across to the curriculum. I want to see education. Oscar Wilde in history talked about as a proud, openly gay man. When we're talking about um, um, Alexander the Great in history, let's talk about his sexuality debate and whether there's some academic saying that he is and that he isn't. It should just be a natural part of discussions. And I can see you um, looking there, sort of quite kind of perking up when he was talking about that in school. <laughs> Do you want to come in here? Uh, I was on a completely different track. I was just, I was in, lucky enough to be in Iceland last year where um, they were discussing whether Nal, who was the um, Iceland, the hero of the Icelandic sagas, um, his sexuality. And, and they're actually discussing this in schools? No, no. The, in the local community, in the newspapers. And, um, <laughs> and know, a very respectful debate they have over there they in do, Iceland. Very it's, not, it's not an attacking debate that we have no, in Australia. No, it was um, a, d- a discussion, not an, a, an aggressive, uh, polarised yeah, debate. We do, we, do, we do tend to be terribly, terribly polarised here, don't we? Now, I've had a look through this document, Corey, um, to some extent, and what strikes me is that when you get to Labour, you get to the Greens, you get fairly specific responses. Um, You probably get fewer weasel words from the Greens than you do from Labour. You get a certain amount of weaseling from Labour. Um, Liberal never really directly address any of the questions you put to them. They they provide kind of generalised, non-specific answers. Well, well, I would say there's probably about 20% of the questions that are directly answered by the Liberals by not directly answering them, if you Mm -hmm. go through and analyse and cut and paste their response into certain sections. But there is a very large, overwhelming... You have to read between the lines to kind of figure out what they might possibly be hinting at. We've tried to do that by putting the Liberals' response into those sections. Yes, I saw. But overall, the largest response the Liberals have received is response does not answer question hmm. um, in our assessment. But but there are some really important things that we need to nail them to the wall on. Okay. Um, and that what, is, What's positive out of their responses then? Leno, we've talked about positive. Let's talk about what we need to nail them to the All wall right. on. Okay. Um, we've got paid parental leave scheme that is a publicly debated thing constantly throughout the election and we don't have a firm commitment whether or not their scheme will include same-sex couples. Mm-hmm. We've... Uh, got a firm commitment to them on HIV strategy, that's great, um, and they've made some good, you know, general words about LGBTI data, but we want to know whether they're actually going to do something or just allow something to be done. But perhaps the most concerning aspect that I see in the entire response is that there's no commitment to maintain the work that we've done in the area of aged care. Mm. There's no absolute commitment to maintain the National LGBTI Ageing Aged Care Strategy or the recognition as a special needs group. Now, they're not saying they will remove it, and I think that their intention is to keep it, but I'd like to see that in writing before the election. Because mm-hmm. obviously before an election is a good time to try and get them to put things in writing, and that's obviously why they're trying to avoid putting things in writing before the election. Um, 
Overall, though, um, do you think things have improved? I mean, look at all three parties. Are we a long, a long way further forward than we were at the last election? Are we more on the agenda than well, we used to well, be? Well, Anne's probably going to find this a bit surprising, but actually the Greens have gone slightly backwards in the sense that they've had to be a little bit more considered in their response because they're becoming a major party. So whereas the Greens previously in the last two elections I've involved in would just say yes, 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 mm. they've had to qualify some of those things, particularly mm-hmm. where there's a financial impact to it. And I think that's a great sign of respect for the Greens growing up as as a major political party in Australia. In terms of Labor, they've jumped miles ahead. There's far few no's in here than there has been previously. Um, and, And likewise, in terms of the coalition, there are still not a great lot of responses, but there are certainly uh, a lot less no's and a lot less negativity. Uh, I think the most respectful set of words I've ever seen out of the, uh, the, the, the coalition in a survey response I want to read to you is, the coalition respects the deep feeling of communities on all sides of this issue when talking about marriage equality. Mm. And they declare that they don't have a position on marriage equality. They say at the 2010 election and earlier elections, the coalition supported the current definition. Mm. Not saying it this one. Well, they're not saying a lot of things, this one. I mean, they're, they're not taking a position on an awful lot of things this election, are they? I mean, they're going, yeah, we'll tell you later. Um, yeah, well, we'll talk about it in the party room. Um, well, we'll have to sort of see what the budget figures look like when we get in or whatever. But yet they're, Tony they're, Abbott they're, still won't tell us what he'll do in the party room. <laughs> Well, no. Um, And Liberal candidates are very thin on the ground when it comes to trying to get them to talk on this program, Anne. I I was just going to say about the observation you made about the financial issue. That's a direct result of um, that initiative of having Treasury um, costing... The PBO. Yeah, the PBO. So the Greens have gone through all their policies. I think it's fantastic. And we've looked at, separated our aspirational policies and identified the ones we can yep. cost. And I think it's a really good sign that they've actually spent time thinking about it, as opposed to just a natural yes, because, of course, we're going to support it. There's actually some, some considered remarks behind it now, which is great. So you're, what you're doing now, and I suppose, is, is you're having to look at prioritising things. You're having to look at, yeah, we can afford this, or we'd like this, but we can't afford it yet, that sort of thing. Yeah, and, I mean, some areas we're obviously aspirational as well, and, you know, it's probably not appropriate to try and cost those things but where we can cost things we're trying to as much as possible now Corey this this whole exercise um were you surprised at the depth of response you got because I remember previous exercises at trying to get parties to do this kind of thing the response was pretty derisory. I mean, I was in Amsterdam last election. I had to call back on an international call to yell at people in headquarters to give us a response, yeah. and all we got was a paragraph or two. Yes, um, there was very little time, before. This time, there seems to be an awful lot more information. There is, and I, and I think that's a credit to everybody who's been involved in LGBTI issues over the current parliamentary term. They've met across bipartisan meetings. It's a nature of having a minority uh, government where you have to talk to all the parties to get something through. Mm. So I think there's a number of key issues in this. Um, uh, document that weren't new to parties that they had had some level of consideration on beforehand, and so they were able to make comments. Is there anything in there that concerns you? Are there any are there any sort of issues in there where you think we still have some educating to do across the board, not just any one party, but across all three parties? Yeah, look, I, I, with all due respect, probably the Greens are the best at it, but but I think we still have a long way to go on trans and gender diverse issues and on issues relating to intersex people, particularly around surgical intervention. Um, nobody in there gave an absolute outright support for preventing intersex children from 
basically having general mutilation occurring to them against their will. Mm. Um, uh, and, and there's a lot of complex issues there around rights of parents, rights of child, um, what is the best outcome to do initially. And, you know, people are trying to do what they think is best, but then it turns out later on in life that it turned out to be not the best thing you could have chosen to do. Um, so it's complex issues like that, that that are still getting reflected upon by the parties. Sure. Um, but I think, you know... Well, let me, let me give you a simple one. Yeah. Let me give you a simple one. Um, I asked Anne earlier on, and she didn't actually know. Um, full Medicare coverage for those living with gender dysphoria, including gender reassignment surgery. Where are the parties on that? Okay. The since, we're, since we're into that topic. The Liberals say nothing on that issue. Uh, and the Greens and Labor give a qualified response. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll see this on question 8.2 in the survey. Um, there's a broad commitment that, you know, Medicare is meant to be used for providing affordable, safe access, cost-effective medical services mm-hmm. by Labor, and that they will continue talking with the LGBTI community about how to address the barriers to access these things. The Greens say that they're committed to overcoming discrimination, vilification on various bases, uh, and recognise the stigma on the basis of gender identity as a cause of psychological distress, uh, and committing to overcome it. We commit to working with the next government to achieve this, but yeah. no outright commitment to so, put so, this so there's surgery. No, and so, as you said about about uh, gender identity issues, uh, trans issues, intersex issues, and that, there's it's still a work in progress. Yeah, and and it just says to me that the community has made a big leap forward. There's the most I've ever heard, um, but that they need to talk more and explain more and educate more in the next parliamentary term. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that, Corey. Thanks Can I for just say, Doug, if you want to come grill people about yes, these questions... I was just going to get to that. You, go on, you tell can me about come, it. Uh, at 2.30 for a 3 o'clock start uh, down at Commercial Road 119 at the DNM Bar on uh, on Saturday the 31st of August. That's this Saturday, 2.30 for 3 o'clock. But if you can't make it, you can still go online to vglrl.org.au forward slash LGBTI 2013 to register a question that we'll ask on your behalf. Right, so that's on Saturday down at the DNM bar. Joining us now, we have Melissa Starr from the Sex Party. Evening, Melissa. Welcome to the program. Good evening. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. You're more than welcome. Um, by the way, I must say congratulations on your uh, launch today and the TV ad that came out. I had a good giggle at that. And uh, if anyone wants to look to that online, uh, I don't know if it'll win you a lot of votes, <laughs> but it's it's certainly definitely good for a laugh. Now, uh, are, you're new to politics. Yes, this is my first ever uh, federal election campaign. And how are you finding it? It's definitely uh, it's a wonderful experience. It's very hard work, but I'm happy to be here and uh, happy to support the party. You had a bit of a rough ride um, in recent days um, over the uh, suicide of a trans activist over in um, Western Australia, um, where you uh, posted on Facebook that you uh, thought her socialist friends might have taken better care of her. And uh, I think it's fair to say a shitstorm descended upon you at that point. Uh, do you regret saying that now? Look, the comment was completely inappropriate. I was quite upset. A young woman, a uh, beautiful young woman, died. And it happens too often in our community, and it, uh, you know, it needs to stop. And it's not a matter of blaming family or friends or whatever. We have to blame a system that doesn't give people enough hope that they want to stay around. Yeah. Now, Amber um, was um, obviously she she chose the extreme left 
of politics. She was involved with the Socialist Alliance. You've gone with the sex party. Um, what's the sex party got that the other parties haven't got? Well, we're a party that is both socially progressive and economically responsible. We believe in a modern Australia and we believe that your life should be your choice. You sound a bit like Malcolm Turnbull <laughs> with that um, being socially progressive and uh, fiscally conservative. Um, I, I was asking Anne earlier on about um, policies relating to refugees. Where does the sex party stand on the, on the situation? Well, we are a civil liberties party. We definitely do not believe that people who are not guilty of a crime should be locked up. It's, this is a very difficult problem for Australia. I don't think there are any easy answers. I think that we definitely need a global solution. And I think that we need to look at what's worked around the world and what hasn't and find a rational way to solve the problem. Yeah, well, there doesn't seem to be an awful lot of rationality about on, on, on this issue at the moment. Um, unfortunately, certainly not from the majors. Now, I'm asking everybody the same question that Tess uh, sent in earlier on. Um, she said, can you uh, ask about my old chestnut, pun intended, what about full Medicare coverage for those living with gender dysphoria, including gender reassignment surgery? Where, where's the sex party on this one? I think that's a special case of a more general issue. We have anti-discrimination laws which are getting better all the time, but there are still exceptions. Sex and gender diverse people are still treated differently. We should have the same access to medical treatment that we need as anybody else in the community. We should be confident of that and we should build up the facilities and the knowledge and skills in Australia to be able to do that. Because trans people are, um, trans and intersex people are, if you like, the, the last people on board the bus, in a sense, that uh, gay men's rights have gone ahead by leaps and bounds, lesbian rights have come along behind, um, bisexual rights are now beginning to be talked about. It's, we're really only now getting into the whole issue of taking care of the trans and intersex community. And, and your standing as a candidate is kind of part of that, isn't it? That, that yes. you now can. Well, I am transsexual myself. I Obviously, these issues are very close for me and uh, very personal. I have a lot of volunteers on my campaign who are transgender or transsexual. I have one uh, wonderful woman who has been waiting for about 30 years trying to save up for uh, gender reassignment surgery, and she still isn't able to afford it, and it's, it's really a heartbreaking situation. Hmm. Hmm. But, but the more people... The more people like you who are, who are visible and out in public life, the better it will get, I'm, I'm guessing, because that's what happened with, with gay issues. Yes, I believe so. I'm part of what I'm doing, I want to send a message to every sex and gender diverse Australian that there is no limit to what you can try and there is no limit to what you can achieve. If you put your mind to it, you can do things. Now, the other um, issue that people have been asking me about, it, it also relates to medical issues. Um, that's things like Medicare, funding Medicare properly, and uh, including dental care and so on in it. If you're being fiscally conservative, are you, is the party in favour of Medicare and, and keeping or even expanding Medicare? Well, I think that we have some opportunities to get some additional sources of revenue for our nation that we're not looking at. Right now, we have a $20 billion a year, that's $20 billion a year, tax exemption for the promotion of religion. Mm -hmm. Now, 
I believe religion does have a place in our society. And as a party, we believe in freedom of religion as well as freedom from religion. But we have religious businesses. There are businesses that are owned by religions and they're competing in the marketplace without having to pay the same taxes that other businesses mm. do. If we put them on a level playing field, that's already a significant additional source of revenue for our economy. And we have another policy which is relating to the war on drugs and uh, we would like to... You're in favour of decriminalisation, like broadly speaking. We're in favour of broad decriminalisation because we believe that people who are suffering from drug addiction should have a chance for treatment, not a criminal record. So you see it more as a medical problem, as a health problem, rather than a policing problem, say? Well, look, we've tried this... The world has tried this in many different ways over a long period of time. We've had, uh, in the last century, prohibition in the United States, mm. and everybody saw how that didn't work, and we are now seeing the same problem with the war on drugs. I believe that we need a solution and that it should be a rational solution that actually works. Well, if I can, if I can um, agree with you on that one. Um, you were talking about sources of income uh, earlier on for the government. If you stop spending money, this vast amount of money on prohibition and tracking down illegal drugs and all that and actually start treating them like tobacco and alcohol and reaping a tax take from them, you could have a lot more money coming into the Treasury. Well, just to make clear, the drug that we uh, wish to tax and regulate and uh, legalise is marijuana. Mm. And we have, I believe, about... 2 million Australians who are taking marijuana and I don't think any law that makes 10% of the population or close to 10% of the population into criminals is a good law. Well, I mean, it invites disrespect for the law, doesn't it? Um, it's, if it's not really... I mean, it's not really enforced that heavily either on the, on the end user. It's very inconsistent, isn't it? It is, but it takes a whole section of the economy and then puts it into the hands of organised crime when it could be, you know, it keeps the drugs on the street. Mm. And, and, and also into the hands of petty crime too, people stealing to feed habits and so on and so forth. So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of with you on that one. Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.